Due to the graphic nature of this case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, assault, sexual abuse, anti-Semitism, and suicide. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. On the morning of September 19, 1931, Adolf Hitler saw something strange in his rearview mirror. The 42-year-old leader of the Nazi party was on his way to Erlangen to kick off his presidential campaign in northern Germany. But it looked like someone was tailing his car. Hitler barked at his chauffeur, telling him to hit the gas. But the mysterious car only sped up behind them. Hitler's black Mercedes couldn't manage to lose it. As the vehicle got closer, Hitler could finally see the driver. They were waving. After a few seconds, Hitler realized that they were carrying a message, so he told the driver to pull over. The second car followed them to the side of the road. Before Hitler could straighten his mustache, a boy in a hotel concierge uniform jumped out and handed his driver a note. Noticing Hitler in the back seat, he saluted nervously. The driver's face dropped as he read the letter. He raised his eyes to Hitler and told him the news. Gailey Rauball, Hitler's 23-year-old half-niece, was dead in his Munich apartment. Hitler was silent. He read over the note himself, then quietly told his chauffeur to turn the car around. He needed to cancel his speech and get back to Munich as soon as possible. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the murder of Gailey Raubal. This week, we'll talk about Hitler's alleged romantic obsession with his niece and her mysterious death in 1931. Next week, we'll cover the Nazi Party's efforts to destroy information about the case and dig into the theories about her gruesome murder. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Angela Raubal who eventually went by the nickname Gailey, was born on June 4, 1908, in Linz, Austria. Her mother, also named Angela Raubal, was Adolf Hitler's half-sister, which made Gailey the future Führer's half-niece. But Gailey would not meet her half-uncle for years. At the time of her birth, Hitler was still a struggling artist living in a Vienna boarding house. When Gailey was only a few months old... He cut off contact with his extended family. 
Matters between the family became even more strained when Adolf refused to care for his orphaned younger sister, Paula. Paula was sent to live with Gailey's family, and things got heated. Gailey's family needed money to care for Paula, and her father frequently clashed with Adolf, insisting that he contribute. But Adolf refused, claiming that his sister wasn't his responsibility. Then, in 1910, Gailey's father died. She was only two years old. This left her mother alone with four children. Gailey and her two siblings, plus Adolf's sister, Paula. Angela couldn't get a job and struggled to feed her family on a widow's pension. Her half-brother Adolf visited occasionally, but always rejected her pleas for financial help. In 1919, Angela was offered a job at a hostel for Jewish students in Vienna. She moved the kids, including 11-year-old Gailey, to the city and took the offer. The kitchen only made kosher food, and Angela was said to be very strict about carrying out the Orthodox rituals, even threatening to fire another cook when she saw them breaking the protocol. That same summer, Adolf was a favored intelligence agent in the German army, working to infiltrate the German Workers' Party in Munich. He was no longer a starving artist. He fought in World War I and moved to the intelligence department after impressing his superiors with his public speaking skills and firm belief in German nationalism. While Adolf was supposed to be spying on the German Workers' Party, he became enamored with their anti-Semitic nationalist views. He started speaking out at the party meetings and caught the attention of party leadership. Eventually, he was asked to become chief of propaganda for the party. Less than a year later, the German Workers' Party would change its name to the National Socialist German Workers' Party, known to much of the rest of the world as the Nazi Party. Hitler was discharged from the army in March 1920 and began putting all his efforts into the Nazi Party. It was already growing quickly, and party meetings drew crowds of more than 2,000 people. There, Hitler's stirring and hateful speeches got top billing. He also formed the party's first paramilitary wing and allowed these troops to terrorize Munich. These early stormtroopers instigated beer hall brawls that left civilians dead and strategically killed off the party's political enemies. The city's police commissions turned a blind eye to right-wing violence and didn't stop Hitler's private army when they played war games in the streets of Munich. Hitler used the pandemonium to his advantage, ranting about the breakdown of German society at every rally and positioning himself as the only person who could restore order. As the country's economy tanked, more and more Germans were drawn to the violent rhetoric of the Nazi party. Hitler became a nationally recognized political figure and acquired a close circle of advisors and allies. At one point, three of the most prominent Nazis visited Angela and her family in their Vienna tenement building to learn more about their leader's background. Frau Rabel? What do you want? We've come from Munich. Our records show that you are the half-sister of Herr Hitler and his closest living relative. Is that correct? If my brother's asking for money, I don't have it. <laughs> no. I can assure you that the days of begging for money are behind him. We're just looking to talk to you. Would you like to go to a cafe with us? If you'll pay for it. Of course, 
Frau Raubal. Wait on the landing. This is my oldest daughter. She insisted on coming with us. I'll warn you that our conversation might be a bit boring for a girl of 16. Oh, lucky for you, I'm only 15 and a half. <laughs> Six months shy of boredom. <laughs> oh, she's a funny one. Say, I have an extra ticket to the operetta tonight, but your mother seems busy enough. Would you like to accompany me to the theater? Oh, I'd love to. Mother never takes us. One of Hitler's closest confidants, Ernst Hanfstengel, took Gailey, who still went by Angela, out to the theater to win favor with her mother. He later told Hitler that his half-niece was bold, pretty, and clapped enthusiastically for every performer. But Hitler likely didn't pay much attention to this information. His mind was elsewhere. Just before Hanfstengel visited the Rauballs in the winter of 1923, Hitler attempted to take over the German government in a failed coup d'etat. The coup failed after two days, and on November 11, 1923, Hitler was arrested for high treason. He was sentenced to five years in prison. Hitler wrote the first volume of his manifesto, Mein Kampf, in prison. He was released and put on probation after only nine months. In 1925, 37-year-old Hitler retreated to the mountain village of Obersalzburg and began to obsessively plot his political comeback. As a rotating group of advisors and allies came through the house, Hitler realized that he needed a housekeeper. And who better to ask than his older sister, Angela? A message from Adolf. My dear sister, I'm writing to summon you immediately to my house in Obersalzburg. As you know, I'm very busy and have found myself in need of assistance for household tasks. I would like to take you on as a housekeeper. <laughs> I will feed and clothe both you and your family in return. Perhaps the children will enjoy their time with Uncle Alfie. <laughs> Always was useless around the house. Angela Raubal can't have been pleased to work for her younger half-brother, but she took the job anyway and moved to the Alpine village in March of 1927. Angela's soon-to-be 19-year-old daughter Gailey was finishing up the school year in Vienna. In early summer, 38-year-old Adolf Hitler was sent to pick the girl up from school. I drive all this way just to forget what she looks like. Angela! Angela Raubal! Gailey! Right here, Uncle Alfie. Oh, let me just get my bags into your back seat. I'm surprised that a man like you still drives himself. Your uncle is full of surprises, Gailey. <laughs> well, you know I go by the name Angela, right? Just like my mother? I think Gailey suits you better. Oh, Uncle Alf, if you insist. 19-year-old Gailey worked as a housekeeper in Hitler's house for several months in the summer of 1927. Alongside her mother and younger sister, Gailey cooked her uncle's meals, cleaned his house, and ran errands for him. While the other women were fairly quiet and reserved in their work, Gailey was bubbly and talkative. Hitler liked her cheerful presence at Obersalzburg and started to take her with him on his daily hikes. He also took her around the countryside, stopping in small-town taverns and showing off his ability to command and bewitch a crowd. During this time, Gailey referred to him as Uncle Alfie or Uncle Alf, 
and seemed to see him as nothing more than a generous family member. But it's worth noting that calling someone uncle in the Hitler family had very specific connotations. Throughout Adolf's childhood, his mother frequently referred to his father as Uncle Alois. They were reportedly either second cousins or uncle and niece. Adolf's mother was also significantly younger than his father and worked as a servant in his father's house. Hitler knew about his family's history and had seen the way that a power imbalanced relationship like this could turn sour. Still, according to some sources, he seemed to be following in his father's footsteps and developing romantic feelings for Gailey. 19-year-old Gailey didn't seem to reciprocate his feelings, but she enjoyed the attention and glamour that came with being near her uncle and his political cronies. At the end of the summer, when Gailey was preparing to go to medical school, Hitler asked her to move to Munich with him. Hitler was ready to come down from his mountain retreat and relaunch the Nazi party in Munich. He claimed that he would need Gailey there as hired help and promised to pay for her apartment and education in return. But it is possible that he actually moved Gailey because he wanted to stop his older sister, Angela, from interfering in his relationship with her daughter. A relationship that would end in tragedy. We'll cover Gailey and Hitler's strange relationship next. Listeners, this month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from ParCast, The Kennedys. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite ParCast hosts, including me, covering every angle of the Kennedys from shows like Today in True Crime, Conspiracy Theories, Crime Countdown, and others. Assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones, too. Examine all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In 1927, 19-year-old Gailey Raubal made it through less than a month of medical school before she broke off her studies. She had never been particularly bookish, and now she spent most of her time with her uncle, 38-year-old Adolf Hitler. Hitler was determined to rebuild the Nazi party on a national scale. The movement had faltered when he was forced to go silent for a few years, and it had lost about half of its representation in the German parliament. Hitler needed to make his presence known in Munich, and often did that by hosting raucous public meetings and appearing at the theater, opera, and cinema as much as possible. And almost always, he took his bubbly teenage niece, Gailey Raubal, along with him. Gailey was proud to be seen with her uncle, and Hitler loved to have her on his arm at party meetings and social events. 
But it should be noted that she hardly lived up to the blue-eyed, blonde-haired ideal that might be expected of a Nazi leader's rumored love interest. Though some accounts mistakenly say that she was blonde, most of the surviving photos of Gailey show a tall brunette with a round, childlike face, framed by a flapper-style bob haircut. Hitler often took her on day-long shopping trips through the city, and she loved wearing the expensive dresses and hats that he bought her. She did not wear the fur coats that were in vogue at the time, though. Hitler reportedly refused to buy fur products because they were made by Jewish craftsmen. As a young woman, Gailey often wore a tiny gold cross on a chain necklace. But after she arrived in Munich, the cross was replaced by a gold swastika. She was a natural extrovert and easily struck up conversations with strangers wherever they went. After living the first 19 years of her life in relative poverty, supported by an overwhelmed single mother, life in Munich was unlike anything she had experienced before. Suddenly, she was the go-to companion of Germany's most powerful right-wing leader, and the face of a movement, she was told, would change the world. But despite her exciting life, Gailey was getting lonely in Munich. She was far away from her mother and siblings, had no friends in the city, and generally didn't leave the apartment without her uncle. Hitler realized that to keep her in the city and in his control, he would need to give her something to do at the opera, of all places. That was fantastic. What did you think of the show, Uncle Alf? A bit mediocre. The soprano is flat. Well, who goes to the opera for perfect pitch, right? It's the story that matters. You sing well. I'm sure you could sing better than her. Oh, Uncle Alfie, I don't think that's true. I like to sing, I'm but... enrolling you in voice lessons. I have an associate who teaches opera from his apartment. You could be a great singer, Gailey, if you only had some training. But don't get carried away. I don't want you wasting money on me. Nothing I spend on you is wasted. And when you're the best soprano in the land, you'll thank me. Your first lesson is at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Don't be late. According to Ernst Hofschnigel's later memoirs, Hitler was determined to turn Gailey into an opera singer and paid for 12 lessons per month with a vocal coach. He reportedly dreamed of Gailey becoming a nationally renowned musician, performing his favorite arias by Wagner at Nazi rallies. But Gailey seemed even less interested in singing than she had been in medicine. Her voice teacher allegedly called her the laziest student he ever dealt with and tried to break the news to Hitler that she wasn't talented enough to properly sing any of Wagner's pieces. After one teacher rejected Gailey, Hitler started shuffling her between voice coaches, paying more and more money for lessons she was barely interested in. She continued to do the bare minimum, and Hitler continued to blame the teachers, who clearly didn't see her potential. In the summer of 1928, when Gailey was 20, Hitler moved her into an apartment with one of her voice teachers, hoping that would change her work ethic. It didn't, but it changed something else. The voice teacher happened to live in the same building as Hitler. Now, Gailey did too. When that voice teacher dropped Gailey as a pupil a few months later, Hitler offered to move her into a room in the flat he just bought. Because she'd been relying on her uncle to pay her rent for over a year and didn't have much interest in getting a job, Gailey had to say yes. On November 5th, 1929, 
21-year-old Gailey Raubal moved into Adolf Hitler's nine-room apartment, where he had prepared a room especially for her. It was brighter than the rest of the house, with pastel green walls and painted decorations on the furniture. On one wall, Hitler hung a watercolor he'd painted during World War I. Although they slept in separate bedrooms, some historians have speculated that the two started a sexual relationship once they moved in together. Regardless, living together gave Hitler more control over Gailey's time and whereabouts. Though their dynamic was rumored to be manipulative and inappropriate, Hitler did show some genuine love for Gailey. In his writings from the period, he only ever expressed glowing praise for her. I can sit next to young women who leave me completely cold. I feel nothing, or they actually irritate me. But a girl like Gailey, with her I become cheerful and bright. If I only sit next to her and listen to her speak for a few minutes, I am suddenly energetic and full of life. As silly as her chatter can be, she revives me, and I can go back to work refreshed and focused. Gailey seemed to be the only person who could make Hitler relax. The 21-year-old was playful and unpretentious and made Hitler feel secure enough to reveal his deepest emotions and fears. The familial nature of their relationship may have made him feel safer with her than with any other woman. Even at the age of 40, Hitler harbored deep insecurities about his family. He had heard rumors that his grandfather, who had disappeared after impregnating his grandmother, was a Jewish merchant. Hitler was, of course, a violent anti-Semite. His fixation on racial purity at the national level may have stemmed from the worry that his own bloodline was, from his bigoted perspective, tainted. He was terrified that anyone he got close with would find out the truth about his family and publicly out him as a hypocrite. He may have found it reassuring that Gailey already knew the family's secret and was just as affected by it as he was. Many historians say that Gailey Raubal was Hitler's greatest love, and some say that she was the only woman he truly loved. At the cafes and beer halls where he met with supporters, he would dominate the discussion only until Gailey arrived. Even though she had no interest in politics and would often steer the conversation towards art or music, he was happy to let her take over. Other prominent Nazis noticed a distinct change in their leader's mood when he was with Gailey. Ernst Hanstengel recalled in his memoirs watching the two of them at the opera one night, looking completely infatuated with each other. When Hitler noticed that Hanstengel was observing them, he stopped laughing and quickly straightened out his face. Gailey was the only person who could get away with making fun of Hitler who hated nothing more than being laughed at. But even though she went with him everywhere, Gailey was never publicly referred to as Hitler's girlfriend or lover. He didn't want to be tied down to one woman, possibly for political reasons, and he continued to use his power and reputation to flirt with others. To get back at him, or perhaps to seek out more independence as a young woman, Gailey started romantic relationships with the only men she saw on a regular basis, Hitler's staff. Gailey was particularly interested in her uncle chauffeur, Emil Maurice. Emil was around the apartment constantly and developed a relationship with Gailey when his boss wasn't looking. When Gailey wrote to Emil, she told him that she felt trapped with her uncle. 
My dear Emil, I've received three of your letters and I'm so sorry that I haven't been able to properly respond to them. Uncle Adolf has been watching me like a hawk, you see. He knows about our arrangement and he doesn't seem to be upset about it. How can he be with all the women he's seeing on the side? But he is insisting that we keep our relationship secret. At least for the time being. All the best from your beloved Gailey. Hitler could have easily put an end to the relationship between Gailey and Emil, but he allowed them to see each other for ten months. It's possible that he got some kind of vicarious pleasure out of watching them flirt with each other, armed with the knowledge that he could punish Emil or Gailey whenever he wanted. When Emil finally stepped out of line by asking Gailey for her hand in marriage, Hitler quickly fired him. This was typical of Hitler's relationship with Gailey's other lovers. He could tolerate them as long as Gailey assured him that he was her primary object of affection. Most of the time, Gailey complied. She had a few dalliances with other men and even received another offer of marriage in 1930. But the 22-year-old reportedly maintained that she was in love with Hitler and planned to marry him one day. By early 1931, it seemed like Gailey had accepted her role as Hitler's de facto female companion. After nearly four years in Munich, she had learned that it was useless to resist his rules and restrictions. Every day, he seemed to grow more powerful. The Nazi party had made huge gains in Germany's federal elections. Hitler was hosting rallies all over the country while his troops paraded in the streets. Everything he wanted seemed to be within reach, and other political parties felt powerless to stop him. Perhaps Gailey felt that she, too, was powerless in the face of her uncle Adolf. She never voiced those feelings, though, until one night in 1931. That night, in one of Munich's public gardens, she broke down crying and revealed the darkest secrets of her relationship with Hitler. Coming up, we'll talk about the most shocking aspect of the relationship and Gailey's attempts to escape. Now, back to the story. In the spring of 1931, when Gailey Raubal was 22 years old, it seemed like she had settled into her strange relationship with her uncle, 41-year-old Adolf Hitler. They lived together in Hitler's Munich apartment, where Gailey was supposedly on staff as a housekeeper, though it doesn't seem she did any housework. Gailey spent her days in singing lessons and her nights at Nazi rallies, accompanying her uncle to nearly every meeting and event. When he had time, Hitler would spoil her with lavish shopping trips and long drives in the mountains. But when Hitler wasn't around, Gailey was stuck in the nine-room apartment. She strained against her uncle's possessiveness, which seemed to grow more intense with every passing year. Occasionally, Gailey was able to convince Hitler to let her leave the house with another high-ranking member of the Nazi party. She was a fun-loving young woman who had little interest in politics and often got bored at her uncle's events. She begged Hitler to let her go to balls and parties with people her own age. Her go-to companion for these events was Otto Strasser, a 33-year-old founding member of the Nazi party. Otto and Gailey had become good friends during her time in Munich, and there were rumors of romance between them. 
In the spring of 1931, Otto accompanied her to a Mardi Gras ball. This was one of the few times that Gailey was fully away from Hitler's supervision. She insisted on staying out as late as she could with Otto, asking him to walk with her through one of Munich's public gardens. Then, when they were safely out of earshot, she pulled Otto onto a bench to talk. The gardens look lovely at this time of night, don't they? (laughs) Gailey, what's wrong? Did I say something? No, Otto. I had a lovely time with you, really. Thank you for taking me. It's just... I hate to see you like this, Gailey. Please, tell me what's happening. I'm scared to go home, Otto. I don't want to go in that apartment again. You'd never believe the things he makes me do. If there was a sexual relationship, it's very likely that Gailey kept quiet about Hitler's sexual requests because she was afraid of retaliation. At this point, her uncle was in command of more than 100,000 armed soldiers and had killed off so many opponents that local newspapers kept a running tally of his victims on their front page. Whatever it was her uncle made her do behind closed doors, She had most likely been enduring it for more than two years. Her friends and teachers had noticed a distinct shift in her personality since she moved in with Hitler. The happy-go-lucky teenager had become a withdrawn, solemn young woman. Most of the time, she was stuck in an empty apartment with only a maid and a pet canary to keep her company. Some sources report that she maintained ill-fated, secret relationships with men other than Hitler, only to have them torn away when her uncle found out. And if the rumors are true, when Hitler returned from his travels, Gailey was expected to perform sex acts that disgusted her. When Gailey had arrived in Munich, she had expected an exciting life at the arm of a rising political star. Instead, she found herself locked and controlled, inside a gilded cage. She was miserable, and by the middle of 1931, it seemed she would do anything to get out. In mid-September of 1931, Gailey, now 23 years old, phoned her singing teacher to cancel her lessons for the rest of the month. She told him that she was going to Vienna and that she might be gone for a few months. It's unclear why Hitler allowed Gailey to make these plans. It's possible that Hitler was getting increasingly desperate to keep their relationship out of the press and wanted her out of town while he made some key political appearances that fall. Rumors were also circulating among the Nazi elite that Gailey was pregnant. Some said that it was Hitler's child. Others said it was the child of a Viennese lover who she had met in Munich. Some accounts imply that Gailey's mysterious paramour was a Jewish music teacher based in Vienna, but there is very little evidence to back that up. All we know is that Gailey was ready to make an escape, and for whatever reason, Hitler was not stopping her. He too may have been getting tired of their arrangement. He had been seeing Eva Brown more frequently, and with the 1932 presidential elections looming, he may have been ready to jettison the controversial relationship with his niece altogether. But as Gailey packed her bags for Vienna, Hitler changed his mind. First, he insisted that her mother had to go with her. Then he forbid her from going altogether. Whatever the reason, 
Hitler seems to have made the decision that it was safer to keep Galey in Munich under lock and key. Come in. Put your clothes back in the dresser. You won't be needing them. What? You're not going to Vienna anymore. I've decided. But Mother is already on her way. Then you can say hello to her before she returns to Obersalzburg. It won't be safe for you in Vienna. That's funny, Adolf, because from what I remember, it isn't safe for me here. Am I safe anywhere? Or am I some kind of porcelain doll that can only be handled with kid gloves? Don't make jokes with me, Gailey. I thought you loved my jokes. Gailey's Vienna plans were abruptly canceled sometime during the week of September 14, 1931. There are many conflicting accounts of what happened in the next few days. One researcher said that Gailey tried to escape on her own. She got as far as the Obersalzberg cottage, where her mother and younger sister still worked, before she was caught and forced to return to Munich. Another account says that she went to the theater on the night of Thursday, September 19th, with the wife of Hitler's top aide, Julius Schaub. In his memoir, Schaub said that his wife seemed worried about Gailey when she arrived home that night. She said it looked like Gailey had been crying, but that she refused to say what was wrong. And yet another set of witnesses say that Gailey and Hitler went to a restaurant on Thursday night and that Hitler stayed in a private room there until one in the morning. The restaurant owner claimed to have seen Hitler drinking beer, which was out of character for him. He almost never drank alcohol. Because many pieces of evidence were destroyed by the Nazis and many of the memoirs published after World War II had strong political motivations to either protect or humiliate Hitler, it's hard to determine what went on between September 14th and 19th, 1931. But there are a few solid facts. One, we know that Hitler had to leave for a speech in Erlangen that was scheduled for Saturday, September 19th. He left Munich on Friday afternoon and had lunch with Gailey in the apartment beforehand. Spaghetti's undercooked. One really thinks Germany's next chancellor could ask his staff to cook spaghetti correctly. But the Fuhrer is just full of surprises, isn't he? It will be nice to have a few days away from that sniveling little voice of yours. I wish that I could say the same. But I know I'll hear you barking whenever I turn on the radio. Take that back now, Gailey! I know you're too stupid to understand politics, but you know what happens to people who say things like that. Enjoy your time in Erlangen, Uncle. You know I'll be here if you need anything. As Hitler was setting out on his trip, one member of the house staff heard Gailey call down to him from the balcony, asking if she could go to Vienna one last time. Hitler paused with the car door open to yell, No. Another witness claims that Hitler hesitated after this and went back upstairs to try and apologize to Gailey. Apparently, he stroked her cheek and whispered something to her, and then she turned away angrily and waited for him to leave. Once Hitler was on his way to the Nuremberg Hotel where he would stay the night, Gailey wandered around the apartment. She called a friend and chatted for a while, talking about clothes and a show she'd seen at the theater. She spent the afternoon tidying up at the house and told the maids that she wouldn't be needing dinner that night because she was going out with friends. Then she locked herself in her room, leaving the key in the door. At one point in the afternoon, 
Gailey started writing a letter to a female friend in Vienna. Though the trip she'd planned had been canceled, she seemed to be positive that she'd return to Austria soon. When I arrive in Vienna, hopefully very soon, we'll drive together to Semmering and... The letter was upbeat, envisioning a trip to Semmering, which is a mountain retreat south of Vienna. But it cut off abruptly in the middle of her sentence. It seems like Gailey was interrupted suddenly while writing. But by what? It's impossible to say, but the letter was probably the last thing that 23-year-old Gailey Rauball ever wrote. Sometime between nightfall on the 18th and the morning of the 19th, a bullet from Adolf Hitler's Mauser 7.65mm pistol blasted a hole in Gailey's chest. The next morning, she was found face down in a pool of her own blood. After the body was found, Munich's Nazi elite swarmed the apartment and Hitler's private secretary, Rudolf Hess, desperately tried to get in contact with his boss. But Hitler had already left the Hotel Deutsche Hof and was on his way back to Erlangen. Hess asked the hotel to somehow summon Hitler back to Munich immediately. They put one of their concierges in a taxi and commanded the driver to catch up with Hitler's car. After reading the note, the driver broke the news to Hitler. Gailey Rauball, his niece, the only woman he ever loved, was dead. Gailey Rauball's death was immediately ruled a suicide. But some speculate that this wasn't the case. Next week, we'll talk through all the theories of who killed her or why she might have shot herself. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode on Gailey Rauball. For more information on Gailey, amongst the many sources we used, we found Hitler and Gailey by Ronald Heyman and Explaining Hitler, The Search for the Origins of His Evil by Ron Rosenbaum, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Kylie Harrington, with writing assistance by River Donahue and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Eddie Lee, Laura Faye Smith, and Jen Wong. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Fact, fiction, fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.